The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, our therapist panel joins me. So there will be three of us, three therapists, and we're going to talk about all different kinds of mental health issues. We're going to focus on people's fears, their what-ifs, their how to cope with uh, going back to school. There's a lot of unknowns right now, uh, so we'll talk about that. We can talk about uh, COVID fatigue, which is making uh, some of us maybe a bit more uh, careless. We can talk about the new technologies, also that we have all been forced to uh, learn or adapt to or adapt our lives to some of us in, in different professions and how that is affecting our brain as well. So uh, lots of things to talk about with my colleagues. But first, time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. Remember, you can always email me to Lori at drlaurie.com. So a couple of questions that were on the text board here that I want to address now is it good or bad to fantasize and masturbate about someone I just started dating before having sex with them? So I don't know if there's a good or a bad when it comes to fantasy. I think it's pretty normal when you are sexually interested in somebody, you're dating them, so you're attracted to them, you are fantasizing about what sex will be like. Like I think that's just a normal part of the excitement of a new relationship or, uh, you know, somebody new in your life. So I, I really don't think it's a question of good or bad. I think it's quite you, normal. I don't know if anybody wants to uh, uh, correct me on that one. If you don't think so, I, I'd like to hear from you. But I think that's a pretty normal thing and not something you should worry about that you're doing something uh, wrong, for example. Remember, it's just, it's again, it's a, it's a fantasy. It's the stories you create in your mind. Most people who masturbate do so about a partner that they, uh, they are with anyway. So you may not have had sex with her, which would, uh, certainly increase, um, or her or him, actually, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, that, that, that just makes sense to me. I don't know if this is serious or not, but I came home to my to find my wife in bed with another man. I was trying to surprise her with a weekend away. So I don't know what to make of this, and I don't know what you did about this and how, how it all went down after, but it would be nice if you gave us uh, an update. So no question here, just a statement. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure uh, what to tell you. Um, I think that couples should understand the function of sex in their relationship. It's not always healthy. If other ways of intimacy are available, sexual energy can be redirected into spiritual growth. Look forward to your comments. So what do you mean by couples should understand the function of sex in their relationship? The function of sex, besides the physiological, biological stuff is, uh, is connection. It's to be close to somebody. It's, uh, to, uh, express, uh, love. It's, uh, uh, to, uh, to feel warm with somebody. Um, I mean, what is the function of, of sex? It doesn't mean that you can't have a lot of these other things 
without sex, like if you had other ways of intimacy, like you say, that are available, um, those can also offer connection and closeness. The part about the sex is the pleasure, right? So you also, um, when you're having sex with your partner, hopefully you are experiencing mutual pleasure. So what is wrong with mutual pleasure? Why would we want to redirect that into spiritual growth? I think that you can have, you can grow spiritually while still having sex. Like I don't, I I don't think that the two can go together. I don't think we need to redirect any kind of energy. You can put energy into sexuality with your partner and expressing that love, and you can put energy into your spiritual uh, development. That's You could do both of those things. So I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Uh, okay, my question is for the ladies. So this person wants... Uh, your input. Do you like getting oral sex by a man with no facial hair, a little stubble, a goatee mustache, or full beard? What feels best for oral sex on the clitoris? So does anybody want to, uh, maybe ladies can answer, uh, this question. So you're, I guess you're wondering how you should, um, Uh, you know, what kind of beard you should sport. Why don't you ask your own partner? More importantly, ask your partner because who cares what everybody else says? You can have people who don't mind the stubble, who don't mind the beard, who like it, who don't like it. What's more important is if you have a partner, what does your partner want and how do they feel? And if they feel it's scratchy or they don't like it, then that's when you do something about it. So ask her instead of maybe all of us. But if it's just for curiosity's sake, well, we can certainly put that out there. Another question. Is it rude to ask a woman what size her breasts are and why not? Or should I ask her what her shoe size is first? I don't even know what, what, why either one matters. I would say yes. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, What's your bra size, by the way? Um, I would say, like, what the hell? Like, you don't need to know that information. Why are you asking me? That's uh, it's crossing a boundary, frankly. I, and I also, if somebody asks you what my shoe size is, what do you care what my shoe size is, right? I might think if a man asked me that, that, hmm, is this a foot fetishist? Does, what does he want to know about my feet? And why would somebody want to know what my breast size is. So as a woman, I would tell you, uh, yes, I would find it rude. If my husband says, oh, I'm just curious, like what size bra do you wear? I think, oh, maybe he wants to buy me some nice lingerie. So I'm going to give him my exact bra size, but that's about it. In that situation, I would say, um, no, that wouldn't, uh, that certainly wouldn't be rude. I don't know what, if anybody else has anything to say about that. Um, text writes, hurt man. Catching wife in bed with another man can be devastating. I'd say, yes, more than devastating. Quite uh, traumatic. Unfortunately, have, uh, you know, counseled quite a few people where this kind of thing has happened. And oftentimes they come to realize that their relationship really wasn't 
the best thing for them to begin with, which would kind of make sense, right? You'd think you'd be with a partner who would do this in your bed and, and would, you know, um, not really forget about discretion. Like that's not, there's no discretion there, uh, or there's risks involved there. So often these are, uh, in men in this situation who discover like, okay, you know what, there were other problems in this, uh, relationship. <laughs> Hi, Lori. What's with the strange questions? Huh? I, you know, I get all kinds of questions here. There are strange ones. There are ordinary ones. Um, but they're all interesting, uh, in my books. They're all interesting. If you've got a question, it's okay by me. I will, uh, I will answer that. Coming up, we'll talk about uh, some mental health issues. So less about sexuality, more about our general mental health Many of us going through lots of things, lots of questions, lots of uncertainty, lots of fatigue in many different ways. How do we cope with this all? Uh, my uh, two colleagues, uh, Jackie Miller and Sandra Reich, will be joining me shortly and we'll talk about all of these things. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. We've got our therapist panel on tonight. So excited to have uh, Jackie Miller, who's a clinical psychologist. She's also a CJEP professor, so we can certainly talk to her about what teaching is uh, is like now that all the students have gone back. And Sandra Reich, who's a psychotherapist and the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. All right. So, uh, things have changed. Now there's a couple of things and both of you can relate to this. First of all, uh, Sandra, you have school age children. So you're worried. So the whole going back to school thing is a whole, is a whole thing, right? Um, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, it's, it's, let me start with something I say on the show all the time is to thyself be true. So how I feel about it is probably different than a lot of people. My kids are not back in school. Oh, they're not. Okay. No, they're not. So what have you decided? Uh, they're at home, and uh, we are participating in distant learning. And um, as I said, I know that that's not the majority of people are not doing that. And um, I totally respect that and understand that. And this is not an easy decision. So I think it's important, again, to come back to, we've been talking about this for months, that we all have to be true to ourselves and what feels right for your family. And my husband and I sat in deep discussions for a long time, oh, and this sure. is what we arrived at was best for us. Okay, so you decided that. And how do your kids feel about it? Uh, they're doing great with it. Uh, you know, we we definitely brought them into the discussion, and uh, they they they're doing great. I mean, it's not a perfect decision. Uh, obviously, socially, it's not as great as if they were at school. So I right. don't think there is a perfect decision right now. And who, so who's? how did you make the decision? Because here's the thing, like my husband and I had this discussion too. And we oh, were, yeah. but we don't have kids. Like we said, what if we had had, what if this had happened years ago when our kids were little and we had to make the decision or the choice to go to school? And I was like, well, I need to work. Like, I don't know how I would, I would teach them myself when I myself have to work. And he, and he was saying, well, I would, that he would, you know, stop working 
and teach the kids. I said, okay, that cuts one whole salary, first of all. Like there's so many decisions to be made around that. It's not like, oh, well, we'll just homeschool. Okay, but who's going to do it? And who's going to be good at it? Like, I don't think I'd be good at it. Yeah, it's not an easy situation. I I do think you do brought up something important there, though, is that my husband and I are both able to work from home. If we were working outside of the home, this would make no sense, this decision. So it's also relative to that. And I think that's another variable. I think that's a really good point. I think that, uh, yes, and many parents are struggling with these these choices and these decisions. We'd like to hear um, from you, 514-790-0800, or you can text in at 514-800. would love to hear um, how you are handling it or what are, what are some of your questions right now uh, in terms of your mental health, in terms of your children's mental health, what fears that you have around this. Now, Jackie is a, um, Jackie Miller, a clinical psychologist. She's also a CJEP professor. So you, your kids are back at school, but they're all virtual, aren't they? Yeah. So I'm teaching at Vanier and my son goes to Vanier, my youngest, and then my oldest goes to McGill. So starting like the youngest and myself were all online like all day 100 percent, okay. 100% and then on Wednesday my oldest will also be online all day so all three of us will be zooming all day long either learning or teaching and yeah it, it's a very it's a very very unique um experience for sure you know just even small things like sitting in front of a screen like you have body parts that are sore that you didn't know could get sore. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Those butt cheeks. Right. Yeah. You know? But even small things like my wrist is sore because it just sits on the table all day. Right. 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 And uh, you just and so even my my youngest at Vanier was saying the breaks aren't the same. Like he may have he may have an hour and a half between the class. But before, he'd be in school and he'd see his friends or he'd go to the library or maybe he'd go to the gym and work out. And here he's at home. You're just waiting for the next class to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even your breaks or your downtime is very different. So how that impacts you processing and learning information, I'm sure at one point will there'll be studies that show that, (laughs) that there was some impact. Well, I have heard, and I don't know, Sandra, you must have heard this too about Zoom fatigue. Like there's actually a, like they're calling it Mm -hmm. this Zoom fatigue. I know that all three of us do all of our work, like probably 90% of our work through Zoom now. And um, I've, it's an adjustment. Like uh, people don't think so, but it is an adjustment and your brain has to adjust. Now, I don't know. I don't know what the research is neurobiologically about this, mm-hmm. but I know just uh, like personally, when I'm in my office, it's always the same backdrop. It's just the person that changes, right? So it's, mm-hmm. so I don't think of the backdrop anymore. It, it I don't pay attention to it. But now at, with every new client comes a different background and a different <laughs> backdrop and other things that... My, you know, like have to work really hard to focus and make sure I'm just focusing on the people and don't get distracted by, you know, the dog that comes comes by and the design. Oh, what a nice, you know, whatever it is. Oh, what a beautiful painting behind you. Uh, all of that stuff. So uh, there is a certain fatigue with that. Jackie? And Yeah, this is one of the things that I talk to with my students the first day of class is talking about how – to make online learning work for them, 
there's going to be different skills that they require. And one of them is going to be focusing their attention. Like when they're in class, you know, they, they can focus on me. And if they're not focused on me, I can call them out and say, hey, <laughs> focus on me. Right, right. Or, but when they're at home in front of their computer, they can be on other devices. They can be doing other things. They can turn their camera off for a bit. And so the self-discipline and internal motivation that's going to be required for them to actually learn is, is, is going to be at a different level because... In school, we can pull them back as teachers. You know, we can we can pull them in. We can get them engaged. We can right. do lots of things. But so is- so here's a question for parents that are listening, and this is our, our therapist panel. So we're dealing with all kinds of different mental health issues, and we're talking about adjusting to online learning. Uh, especially for kids who are doing this, it's all new for a lot of people. This is all brand new stuff for the teachers. So you need a lot of patience there for the students who need to adapt to this and the parents who need coping skills on like, we're here to help our kids. Right. So we've got to, but we've never encountered this. Nobody's telling us what to do. So how, um, Sandra, is there any advice that you give to to parents to make this task easier? And you're in a good position to actually tell us since your kids are doing online learning and they're young. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, again, this is something I talk about all the time, even pre-pandemic, is when you make a decision to be anchored in your decision and stand behind it. Because as I said, there are no perfect decisions. So one of the things that helps with coping is if there's a sense of, um, anchoring, like this is what we've decided, this is what feels good for this family. And kids really uh, feed off of that and they really start to feel quite secure. So my kids are not having a hard time with this because there's a sense that we're all on the same page mm-hmm. and we're feeling good about it. There's not a sense that we're right and other people are wrong because that's another thing that goes on that's not okay. It's not a position of judgment. And I still think that that's something we've talked about in the last few months is still going on during this pandemic right. of sort of two sides of the fence. And this is the right way. Keep your kids home or send your kids to school is the right way. And I don't think I don't think life is that simple. And I definitely don't think this decision is that simple. So I think another way to reduce the anxiety is to also understand that there are no perfect decisions, just like in everyday life. There are no perfect decisions. Mm. And then the coping becomes much easier. Do you feel that you're getting shamed by other parents for having made this particular choice? Well, I don't think it's uh, flagrant, but I think it's subtle. I think that we do live in a society where when majorities of people decide to go a certain way, uh, when you don't follow the majority, there is sometimes a sense of, well, why are you doing things differently? Um, So, and I I, I hear people debating about masks and debating about school, and, and we all have our opinions. I do, too. But I think that we have to be careful about shaming each other because I don't think any of us know for sure what the right decision is. And I don't Mm -hmm. think any of us, like anything else in life, should be sitting on a perch and telling people what to do. We've made the right decision for what feels like a right decision for our family. It doesn't mean it's the right decision. Grand finale. Right, right, right. It feels right to us. There's no no one, one way is what you're saying. Exactly. Right. And every kid is different too. And we have to know... You know, some kids may not be able to do 
sit in front of a computer with yeah, like we'll I see. can't well that's the thing is like, we'll I can't see. imagine pl- you know like putting a kid in front of the computer for all day with maybe you know two breaks yeah. and and not be distracted by their game boy or whatever oh, if that yeah. still exists yeah. that's right yeah. you know uh, a few feet away from them or what have yeah. you like as parents how frustrating, right, to keep them on track and yeah. to keep them... Well, that's them... also part of the strategies, right? It's not maybe not having the Game Boy nearby during school well, hours. But then thing. you've got to create the space. So here's the thing. The, we were yeah. talking about the strategies. One of them is you have to create the space. Yeah. Does every family have that much space to create? Like that's another, you know, it's just a, a, another layer of of like stress, right, is to be able to to do that as well. So Yeah, but I think you also bring up the fact that different personalities, I have a girl and a boy, they're very different. I The girl has started already, it's going smooth. We'll see how it goes for my son. Yeah. Remains to be seen. We'll right. See. Well, here, this texter wrote, my daughter has two going into high school and one going into grade one. Her doctor told her not sending them to school can be more detrimental. So what do you make? What do you make of that when when a doctor is saying that could be detrimental? What do you think they're referring to? Well, I think they're referring to the psychology. I'm I'm in the field of psychology, and I can certainly understand that uh, socially and psychologically there are certainly – we're not happy about this situation. There are risks for the lack of social skills and so on and so forth. I guess it came down to social skills versus possible health considerations. So I guess it's, you know, it's a cost-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. I think the doctor is making a good point. It doesn't offend me in the slightest. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, here, I'm glad I don't have to distance learn or even distance work this fall. I'd get fidgety and prone to distraction if at home. I can't tell you how many people must be feeling that. Like they, they're, so their work days become much longer because they end up being having more distraction, which might be okay for some people. It might give them that flexibility, but not for the family members who may rely on them at dinner time or you know help with the kids later or what have you. So if that day stretches more, now we have like more added stress. We're talking about, uh, of course, you know the stress of, of everything going on right now, the stress of going back to school, the decision that you made uh, about uh, whether sending your kids to school, not sending the kids to school, all the what ifs. I'm hearing a lot of what ifs. I want to talk about um, how to cope with the what ifs, dealing with the unknown with our therapist panel, Jackie Miller and Sandra Reish. Coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 Newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Like we've been doing uh, for the last six months or so, every month with our therapist panel, coping with COVID, uh, uh, just new things to cope with. This time it's back to school. A lot of parents unsure. A lot of parents I've noticed are very happy about it happy with a nervousness you know it's like i'm happy but i don't know what's going to happen in a week from now i'm happy but what if they lock down in another in another month so it, it's a a very tentative uh tentative sending to to school for some parents they need to get back to work themselves so this is for them a necessity and uh, others need a break 
It's okay to need a break from your kids. You don't have to feel guilty about that. Most parents, you know, have been uh, 24-7 with their with their children for months and months. Uh, so it's, it's a welcome change for them, but at the same time, a very frightening one. Uh, Jackie Miller is here. Uh, she is a clinical psychologist and a CJEP professor as well. Sandra Reich is a psychotherapist and the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. And unfortunately, lots of that going around. So um, we're talking about mental health issues. And, um, well, let me just share a couple of texts from you guys. Uh, Dr. Laurie, outliers are always looked at and judged. People forget that outliers are the ones who make history. <laughs> I thought that was well said. That's nice to hear. Sandra's <laughs> really an outlier. Like, she's she was one of the first vegan people I knew, and her whole family is vegan. I hope I can say that. It's not a secret, uh, You can right? say, especially since we got you to join along. Yes, uh, yes, you have been my vegan coach, so thank you. That that uh, So an outlier she is, for sure. Uh, the Passion Poet weighs in with a poem. The mental stress rising as we send our kids back to school. Are they going to be safe? Are they going into a COVID pool? It's just not the kids, it's the teachers too, and it's that time of year for the annual flu. But we have to be real. This is a roll of the dice, a massive lab experiment, and our kids are the mice. Um, A lot of people feel this way. I was just reading an article. I don't even know. Who knows? Fake news, not fake news. In in Florida, after one month, kids have been in school about a month now. There have been uh, 48,000 cases. I think comes from the American Pediatric Association, something like 48,000 cases and uh, a few deaths in children so it has you know it's not like kids can't get it so you know but yet other people will say oh those are not real numbers and we're being lied to and I don't even want to get into all of that but when you think about all that information coming at us it creates an even more like a, a an even greater level of unknown it's like who do I believe right and like that causes a lot of stress. Who do I believe? What numbers do I believe? If I say, see, now I, I just said, I read this article. These are the numbers. Somebody else is going to tell me, no, Laura, you're wrong. That's fake news. Or that, you know, the government's lying or somebody's whatever. There's a conspiracy, whatever it is. And of course, you know, I'm not, I can't say with hundred percent certainty that it's not, I don't know. Right. I'm hoping I believe the scientists, but again, I, I'm not going to tell somebody else what you believe is absolutely false because I don't know f- for sure. I guess time will tell. I don't know. Jackie? Yeah, I think it goes back to what uh, Sandra was saying, that it's such a personal choice, and we all have to you know, be comfortable and committed to what our choice was because it's such a fluctuating, it's a moving target. Yes. <laughs> it's such a moving, and so there's no, there may be times where, it, you know, the information comes out and it looks like, oh, we're, we're right on. We, you know, uh, we're in line with what the information says and then something changes. And so it's a moving target. And so figuring out what can you live with, you know, um, as it changes for you as a family. And personally, I think that that that's what's going to be important because right now they're, they're, it's, it's tolerating uncertainty, <laughs> How do we yes. cope with tolerating uncertainty? And that's, uh, I think, right up, Sandra, that's right up your alley in terms of work with anxiety because, you know, when we deal with what ifs, that's 
Like that's anxious thinking, right? It's like, well, what if yeah. this happens? And what if, and then you can keep going. Like you can go with what if scenarios for a long time. And what does right. that, what does that do to us inside Sandra? Well, it, it sends a, you know, a whole bunch of hormones that induce the sympathetic nervous system response, better known as the fight or flight. So it's a good way to have an anxiety attack. Um, yeah. To be fair, uh, as I've mentioned many times in the past on the show, our brains are really, really not primed well for uncertainty. We actually, it's been shown that our brains can handle bad news quite well. We don't do well with uncertainty. So, um, you know, old school strategy to what if is to turn it into a so what if, which sounds a little flip because, you know, what if I die is pretty serious. Right. You're um, not going to do so what if so I what die, if I right, die. right, right, right. But actually, there's no, that is really the only one that there's not options with. If I die, you're dead. But um, all the other ones, you can start to brainstorm, you know, what if this happens? What would I do? Take a little time to answer, so what if this happened? What would I do? And if you don't allot your whole day to that and you can, you know, brainstorm some choices, maybe not great choices, but just the idea of having choice is empowering. It tends to reduce the anxiety enormously. So sometimes we have to answer the what if question. Okay. What if I got COVID? So what if I got COVID? What would be the plan then? What would I do? What if my kid got COVID? What would I do then? What would be the plan? Right. You know, and you start to come up with ideas and you don't let the whole day go by on it. And remember, you know, I say it's often that the only what if that really is the bad one is what if I die and then you're dead. The other <laughs> ones, there are, yeah, there are things that can be done. Right. Jackie? I think, too, that, you know, the technique of mindfulness right now, mm-hmm. people want to pick this up. because <laughs> the Now's idea the this, time. Yes. <laughs> as what's happening now, being in the present moment, you know, feelings come and go, thoughts come and go, and we don't necessarily have to latch on to them. And even, you know, even, I mean, I do CBT all the time. We're asking people to challenge their thoughts, but some thoughts in this situation we're going to say, okay, that's a thought. We're going to let that go, and we're going to move on to something else. Because there, there are so many uh, unknowns that we can't challenge or we can't answer those questions. So it's like, what's happening right now? Right now, nobody has, you know, no one in my family has COVID, or nobody has symptoms. So today is a good day, mm-hmm. and then and and you're dealing with day by day. Right. And I think too, just being, it comes back down to basics. You know, like just trying to sleep well and exercise and eat well. Like this is, this is like a triathlon to the max. (laughs) We need to be in shape, you know, we really do. I think there's, you have to focus on, you're right. The diet, the exercise, all things that are difficult to do because we're not getting, we may not be getting out much. We may be stuck to our chairs in front of a computer more. Uh, we know a lot of people have put on weight during uh, COVID, but there's, you know, I think people are starting to kind of get accustomed to a, another beat uh, of life. So they are maybe starting to do things a little bit differently, taking online exercise classes, whatever it is, but taking care of the body and taking care of the mind at this time is uh, is an absolute must. Like this is something that has to be, we have to consider. And I want everybody to think about this. Like how, how has this affected your uh your mental health like let 
take a look at this. Ask yourself the question because I think many of us are just going through life like just trying to get through the day without really focusing on that. And I, I, I would hate to see like complete breakdowns at some point, right? Because if you can ask yourself the question as we go along, maybe dealing with some of the, uh, the effects and some of these, the, these mental health issues as they appear rather than the accumulation of, and then, and then a, a breakdown. And we're, I think we're mm-hmm. seeing quite a bit of that, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And yeah. I think what Jackie said was really, really on point is the food sleep exercise as the, uh, the basics of keeping ourselves in a, a solid ground and, you know, actually the treatment for anxiety starts with basics. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up, we'll talk a little bit about uh, COVID fatigue, making some of us maybe a bit uh, careless, and uh, it's a good time to develop different coping mechanisms. So we'll talk about that. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. We have our therapist panel uh, with us tonight, uh, Jackie Miller, clinical psychologist and also a CJEP professor, and Sandra Reich, a psychotherapist and the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. We have a texter who wrote in, uh, ladies, my anxiety and stress have catapulted to such an extreme that I have dizziness and shaking all day. It was gradual but is debilitating not easy to deal with. So Sandra, how, what would you, what would be some of the things that you would recommend for this person? Already been said, but the food sleep exercise are the first layer of our house. We need to get those things in order. And I would absolutely have them learning how to do a breathing strategy. You can YouTube them. You can find them online. They're known as pace breathing or diaphragmic breathing. It is a game changer if you learn how to breathe properly it turns on the opposing nervous system in the body and what great news that opposing nervous system produces a response of rest and relaxation game changer so that's a, a good a good place to start especially because dizziness is caused by rapid breathing yeah. right o- oftentimes o2 and co2 are getting out of whack right mm. so that's a good place to start uh for sure uh, how can people not be sure there's really a pandemic? Were we in lockdown for a fake agenda? Did businesses close and jobs disappear because of fake news? These conspiracy theories cause an extra level of anxiety, I agree, uh, when they tell us to stop believing the hype. What does somebody do about these people? Do we end relationships with them? Great question. I love it. It's like, uh, you know, how do you deal with this? I have a friend... Who's a, I don't talk to her. But, well, she lives somewhere else. And but I well, I look at her Facebook posts, okay, and they are all based conspiracy theories, and this is all bogus, and the you know we're being controlled. Actually, I have a couple of friends who um, are posting this stuff, and I I don't want to. I do not want to engage with them. I'm this close to unfriending them on Facebook. So how? Does somebody deal with that? Does anybody have any clue as what to do with this, Jackie? Well, I think COVID is is going to be part, like, you know how we don't sometimes talk about politics and religion? <laughs> we sort of, we say, okay, we're not talking about those subjects with our friends or, um, yeah, I, you know, there, you just, 
you get to know where people really stand based on the decisions they're making, right? Like keeping their kids home or, or letting their kids go to school or how much socializing they're doing. If they really are keeping the, you, you get to know people in your life and Mm -hmm. what they're doing. And if your views are really different, it's one of those things I think where it's okay, we're going to agree to disagree. And maybe we aren't because it's one of those things that can become like, you get that polarization. Like as you start to discuss it, you just get further and further into your own corners and it becomes, you know, um, because right now it's such an emotionally charged, you know, topic. It's it's just difficult. I find it, I find it very difficult to confront. I I don't bother. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't, to me, when I hear those theories and people spewing all this stuff, I'm like, you know, to me, it's unreasonable. That's to me. Now, I have a rule. I don't argue with unreasonable people. I just don't. I, I don't engage in it because I'm, you know, and I, this is an argument I have with my husband all the time because he does. He goes online and he's like back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, they're never, you're not going to change their minds. Like, why are you bothering? So I just don't bother. I just let, mm-hmm. you know, let it, okay, it's there, whatever. And I don't engage. And I think that's, to me, that's good advice, you know, otherwise it stresses you out. I watch it. I, I, I see my husband get all riled up over people's posts and I'm like, why are you like, don't, what are you doing? You know, this is like, you're getting anxious over someone else. Someone else is thinking, don't do that. Like you have to, so we, we do have to watch what we like what comes into our brains. I think we have to filter a lot of this stuff and maybe that's been a much bigger challenge these days than ever, than we've ever known because Mm -hmm. there is so much information coming at us from all ends. And sometimes we need to take a break from that information. We really do because it, that is so overwhelming and so anxiety provoking just to, to read all these different things. I think, I think that that, that texture had it really, uh, right. Somebody says you talk like conspiracies don't exist. I didn't say they don't exist. I was sure. Uh, I, I may not believe I am certainly would never consider myself a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. I, it's not me, but I'm not saying everybody's wrong either. I'm right. And they're wrong. No. But what we're saying here is that it is everything a conspiracy and, and thinking that everything is, is just going to, I don't know, just that, that creates even more anxiety and then trying to debate the two and figuring out which, which is, is which, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I know you used to uh, laugh at me that I'm not on any social media, yeah. but I'm telling you, but I'm kind of feeling okay about that now because yeah, I don't, I, I hear from a lot of people, the things that they, online and Facebook and all these different and I, I really I don't have any social media so I'm not so good I, I, I'm not exposed to it but people will say oh did you hear about this conspiracy and I'm like no I, I haven't heard of it and in this case I you know I think that it was probably it was a lifestyle choice that I think mm-hmm. fits right now is a oh good yeah fit for right now you're yeah. you're good to go now like I, yeah, many <laughs> many people are so fatigued uh, mm. talk about like one element of COVID fatigue. We're tired of all of this, this overload, um, of information for sure. 
a couple of texts here. I like it. It's hard not to engage when the conspiracy theorists phone you. Who's phoning you? Jeez. Uh, um, another one says, Neil Armstrong did not walk on the moon and the earth is flat. Same group okay. of nuts. <laughs> uh, okay. Again. Uh, good question for sure about the added stress from coping with COVID conspiracy believers. Like one more thing we all really don't need right now. I don't bother engaging unless it really gets in my way and good for your hobby to do all that. He's got more patience than me with that. Uh, yeah, well, I don't have the patience for that. And I think we have to put our energies where it's needed and maybe recognizing that you should maybe preserve some of your energy and, and put it in different places. And, um, but the COVID fatigue is real. Like people are just tired. They're tired of being cooped up. They're tired of being careful. I mean, now it's summer. We've been out. What's going to happen within the next four or five months when it's winter here and it's cold and you're not socially outside distancing, like you are hibernating. So we're all going to go into hibernation. Um, so we're tired of, of being, of being careful. We're tired of being scared all the time. And I think it's, it's a collective fatigue. I, I just, you yeah. know, let's call it what it is. It is a collective fatigue, but I do think it's also making people maybe careless. Uh, have you talked to people who say, Oh, you know, for a brief moment there, I totally forgot about it. You know, I, I, yeah. I like I, I put down my guard or I walked into a store and I totally forgot my mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but we're starting to see because of that. We're starting to see that, according to what I'm reading, that the numbers are starting to go up because there's a collective carelessness. Right. So mm-hmm. you know, I again, I don't want to be accused of quoting false news, but according <laughs> to what I'm reading, uh, numbers are going up because people are getting a false sense of security. So, and we are all in this together. So this is definitely a concern. It doesn't just affect you; it affects all of us. What we do affects each other. And I think, too, you know, it's for younger people, like teenagers, you know, and that group, maybe, you know, 17, 25. They feel invincible. Well, and also, I think, you know, a lot of people have been sort of coming down on that group because they are getting more careless, taking more risks. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, I think having empathy, I think it's very difficult for that group um, to, to not socialize and to... You know, and yeah, that part of the frontal lobe that we need fully developed to say, oh, this is too risky or this is a bad decision. It's not fully developed. So they're kind of, <laughs> right. you know, they're, um, but yeah, it's, it's sometimes I think maybe that carelessness is just a reflection of, yeah, maybe a lack of maturity or the fatigue or just it's. It's really hard for some of them, I think. It's very hard, and I'm I'm noticing it's very hard for the parents as well who Mm -hmm. don't know how to convince their young adult children to be safe, and and they they don't want to hold them back from socializing because they know they so desperately need them. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, they're like, please just be careful. Like, you know, it's again, it's like, okay, I'm sending you out into the world. Before it was like, don't have sex unprotected. Don't drink and drive. Don't, you yeah. know, now it's like, wear your mask, wash your hands. So it's become a, a, a new thing added to, uh, to our worries as parents anyway. And, I, and some, okay. Go ahead, Jackie. Last some words. Of, some of the parents too that I'm working with are finding it like they're punishing more. Right. Oh, like, okay. Right. Like, you know, 
you, I saw that you weren't socially distancing, and now, like, no iPhone for a month. Like, they're right. They don't you can't know. go out anymore. Right. Right. You、It's、can't、hard. go out, and you can't have your your, your access. And right.、Yeah. I'm sure that next month we're going to be having this very same、uh, discussion,、uh, or at least we'll see what the evolution of it will be. But、uh, we won't be in studio together. We'll be by phone again. For sure. Thank you,、uh, guys, for being、uh, with me. Where can people reach you, Sandra? www.helpforanxietydepression.com or five one four seven 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 four five three zero. And Jackie, for you. Five one four seven seven two five six eight three. Wonderful, ladies. Thank you so much, and thanks to all of you for、uh, tuning you. in. Thank you for your text messages. Thanks to、uh, Dave Simon, our technical producer. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito through my website, drlori.com. You can find our podcast to past shows、uh, on the CJD page on I- the iHeartRadio app. Or you can、uh, get the podcast off of my website as well. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion. <laughs>